Hello, and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note ask any question, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. Hello, welcome to week 42. We are in Matthew chapter 8, 14 through 34, on to chapter 10, and chapters 14 through 17, Mark chapters 4 through 9, Luke 9, and John 6. Timeline is 28 to 29 AD. Let's start in Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 34, and Mark 4 through 5. We continue with events we read about last week, but as you can see, each gospel has most of them, if not in the same order. We continue with Jesus and his miracles as we see him healing Peter's mom, who went from having a fever and probably feeling like death to feeling so good she wanted to serve. Closest I've ever been to that is when I got a shot of steroids. People wanted to follow Jesus, and so he explains that it isn't as easy as it may seem from fellow Christians. Can I get an amen? I mean, so worth it, but by no means easy. Kelly, side note, I say this in my real life a lot. Just because it is simple does not make it easy. And we have to quit confusing the two. And that goes to every walk of life, but especially following Jesus. Sure, it is simple. You do the things, but doing them and living them in his way is not easy. So if you are struggling, you are far from being alone. And please reach out to your church family or any fellow believer to get prayers and encouragement. So Jesus continues to speak in parables. If any of these are unclear, please email me and I'll be glad to discuss it with you. Then we see Jesus calm the storm. Now, I can only imagine how massive the storm was after seeing so many things about ships going down in storms. I would bet those disciples are scared, and there's Jesus sleeping. They, of course, are freaked out and cry out to Jesus. Jesus is like, even if I'm sleeping, I'm here. Why are you afraid? And he rebukes the wind and waves, and they obey him. In Matthew 9, 37, we have one of the most powerful verses to me that always calls and reminds me what God wants me to do says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We must be out there. Do I do this perfectly? Absolutely not. Will you? Uh-uh. But that's not what God asked for. He asked for our obedience and the willingness to go and do it. In Matthew chapter 10 and 14, Mark 6, Luke chapter 9, 1 through 17, and John 6, Jesus not only called his disciples, but then he gave them the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. They were given instructions and what to do and how to accomplish it. And further, if they were rejected, the peace would be returned to them and that they were to just shake the dust off their feet. The people that rejected the message will face their consequences on the day of judgment, and it would be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah. Dang. He also taught them how to act, and it is something that we should hold on to this day. To be sheep among wolves, shrewd as snakes, but innocent as doves. We are to be on our guard as people will not react well to the truth. As he further explains, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. But even so, Jesus tells us not to be afraid when this happens. God knows what is going on, and none of it will escape his attention. And for those who think they can have a secret deal with God, might I point you to Matthew 10, 32 through 33, with this. 
Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And as Jesus continues to explain, he did not come to bring peace to earth. He's not talking about us, his believers, but the earth as a whole. He brought a sword because if you believe in him and your loved ones deny him, there will be a wedge. There will not be peace. Jesus explains further how we show his love and kindness. And then we come to a very sad moment in text where we learn that John the Baptist has been beheaded. And why? Because Herod the Tetrarch had imprisoned John for speaking out about what Herod had done with his brother's wife. However, Herod didn't want to kill John because Herod feared the people. However, one night his brother's wife's daughter danced and he was so pleased he told her he would give her whatever she asked. And the daughter, on behalf of her mother's desire, as she didn't appreciate being called out by John either, asked for the head of John the Baptist and he was beheaded even though Herod did not want to do that. And because Herod felt so guilty in doing this, as he should. When he heard about Jesus, he thought he was John the Baptist come to life. You can't see it, but there is a deep head shake over here as well as the stink eye. So when the 12 come back from their field trip, they report back to Jesus how it went, and they all withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. However, where Jesus goes, so does the crowd, and they all wanted to hear and be with Jesus. But time got away from everyone, except for Jesus, and it became time to eat. But this town was a lot like the small town my dad grew up in and that there is no way that it could feed 5,000 people without a lot of notice. But Jesus said to find a way, and so they did, and all they had was one boy's sack lunch of fish sandwiches, five loaves and two fish. Jesus was like, great, sit everyone down in groups of 50. Jesus takes the loaves and fish, looks at heaven, gives thanks to God as the disciples start spreading the food out. Everyone gets not only their fill, but there were 12 baskets left over. I wonder who got those baskets. Anyway, but seriously, 5,000 people. And that were only the men that were counted. It mentioned that there were women and children, so who knows how many thousands more. Immediately after that, though, Jesus had his disciples go in a boat to get to the other side while Jesus dismissed the crowd and went up on a mountainside to pray. Listen up, kids. Extroverts, listen. Jesus loved the people, but he also liked his alone time with God. It is perfectly fine if the introvert in your life needs the same kind of space. Or even your fellow ambivert when they feel that their social battery has been drained and they need to replug. On the other hand, introverts, you too need to respect that being part of a crowd can also be very healthy. Okay, got it all? Okay. All to say that the disciples who were on a boat are straining and working hard because the wind was going in the opposite direction of them, and they had to row that much harder to get where they needed to go. Jesus saw this and started walking on the water to them, but they saw him and freaked out, which I'd be right there with them. Jesus tells them to relax, it's him, and don't be afraid. Peter's like, Lord, if that is you, you tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus tells him, come on. And Peter is walking on the water too and toward Jesus, but then he realizes what he's actually doing, freaks out and starts drowning. But he calls out to Jesus who reaches his hand out and catches him. And Jesus is like, why did you doubt? And fair point, because Peter, you were walking on the water too, but on the other hand, Peter and I are so in sync sometimes. So Jesus climbs in the boat and the winds die down and the disciples are amazed and are like, you are the Lord. I'd be the same friends. What can I say? But as they get to the other side, they are greeted by the groups that they had been with the day before and are like, hey, when did y'all get here? As if they weren't looking for Jesus. And rightly so, Jesus calls them out on it and says, you're not here for the signs I performed, but for the food. And 
She's just like, you need to not be going after food that spoils and will never satisfy forever, but for bread from heaven. Kind of confusing because like them, they're like, are you talking about manna? And Jesus explains that they need to be working for the Lord and seeking him. And by doing that, they will have eternal rewards for Jesus is the bread of life. To which the skeptics, who are always only there for the free food, are like, who are you? And start talking amongst themselves about how Jesus isn't anything but the son of a carpenter, and why should they listen to him? Jesus calls them out on this and is like, look, without me, you will not be able to see the Father. Which gets them talking further because they really do not understand what Jesus is telling them, and they are taking it quite literally because they're wanting to be dense. And finally, some of them are like, forget this. I was here for the free food, and I don't want to do any of what the student's saying and start to leave. Jesus responds yet again, telling them, hey, what's up? But they are having none of it and leave. Jesus turns to his close 12 and asks them if they want to leave too. Good old Peter, who does have his flaws, but truly loves the Lord, is like, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answers, have I not chosen you 12? Yet one of you is the devil, meaning Judas Iscariot, who would betray him in the end. But we'll get there. In Matthew 15, Mark 7, and Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, once again, the Pharisees are upset with Jesus, because what else is new? This time, they are mad that the disciples do not wash their hands before they eat. Before you get too far, this isn't the normal washing that you're thinking of. What they're talking about is a highly detailed ritual they said that needed to be performed, not the actual washing, just washing of your hands so that you're not eating with dirty hands. And Jesus comes back and is like, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Basically saying it is way worse to be pure of hands, but not pure of heart. They were upset and angered over the wrong thing being clean. But P.S., Jesus is not saying don't wash your hands as we do today. He's just saying you need to pay far more attention to where and how your heart is than what is being done on the outside for everyone to see. Then Jesus meets a Canaanite woman whose daughter is demon-possessed. And Jesus tests her faith here and says, it's not right to take food out of the children's mouth and give it to the dogs. Pause. He is not calling her a dog per se. He's saying that he came to save Israel and she is not an Israelite not even halfway like the Samaritans. This also means she would probably not be Jewish and therefore wouldn't know who he was from any past teachings. But this woman understands what Jesus is saying and so rebuts the argument with true, but even dogs get to eat crumbs from the master's table, which proved to Jesus that she understood he was who he said he was and he commends her for her faith, much like the centurion, and heals her daughter without ever having to see the child. Further proving that you don't have to know everything to start following Jesus, you just have to know he is Lord. So, as the Twelve and Jesus continue to travel, they are met with a man who is both deaf and mute, meaning he can't hear or speak, kind of like Helen Keller. The people beg Jesus to heal him, so Jesus puts his finger in the man's ears, then spits and touches the man's tongue, to which the man was then able to hear and speak. Now, I know some of you germaphobes out there probably came out of your skin when you read this. First, the disciples don't wash their hands in all this. Spit was actually thought to have healing powers in the Jewish and Greek traditions, but Jesus does this out of sight and hearing of those around. So it was more of a private manner. And um, this is <laughs> this is actually really a fun event if you want to go deeper into meaning of it. But anyway, much like with the feeding of the 5,000, the, the same scenario happens again, this time with 4,000. And you would have thought the disciples might remember what happened there, but they do not. So when Jesus has compassion on the crown and says he wants to feed them, the disciples are bewildered where they could get enough bread. So once again, Jesus asks them what food they 
do have. This time it's a bit more than the fish sandwiches of earlier, and they now have seven loaves and some fish. And so once again, Jesus takes the food, breaks it apart, giving thanks to God, and is able to feed the 4,000 men plus the women and children that were also with those 4,000 men. And there were seven baskets left over this time. In Matthew 16, Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 38, and Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27, here they come again. Oh, that's right, the Pharisees. Except this time they've met up with the Sadducees. I'm going to insert the pastor joke here, which is, what is the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee? Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad. You see? You're welcome. Regardless, they come up to Jesus yet again because apparently they just want to be set back on a weekly basis. And this time they approach him with saying they want to see a sign from heaven. Jesus is all, no. He's like, you can see a sign from the sky, but you can't interpret one from the scriptures. The only one you'll get is the sign of Jonah, which is literally him telling them that they are wrong and they need to repent, but they're too mad to pay attention. And while Jesus is walking away from the Pharisees, the disciples are following but aren't paying attention to what's going on there as they are upset with themselves because they forgot to bring bread. And to be fair to these guys, they do a lot of walking. I'd be upset not having bread too. Still, Jesus throws a comment at them like, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This confuses them greatly as they were just bummed they didn't have bread and they didn't realize Jesus would be mad at them for forgetting it. If ever there was a time I think Jesus might have rolled his eyes, it would have been now. Because Jesus is like, no, I'm not talking about actual bread. Do you not remember the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000 after that? We had plenty of food out of nothing. I'm not talking about the bread, but the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood. Oh, you mean they're teaching. <laughs> now, I know they gave a look to one another over this. And honestly, if I were there, I'd want to avoid eye contact with Jesus for a bit for not getting that. But soon enough, as they get to another destination, Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked them, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and there are even more that say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus goes, who do you say I am? And good old Peter answers, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds saying that Peter is blessed because it wasn't revealed by flesh or blood, meaning no one told him straight out, but was revealed by God himself. And then he tells Peter he will build his church with Peter. And this is why people say that Peter was the first pope, um, as well as other things that we'll get to once we get through Acts. As they go on, Jesus starts to warn them about what is going to happen soon as far as his death goes. And poor Peter is like, absolutely not will I let that happen. But Jesus snaps back and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is your reminder that sometimes that people that love you the most may not understand what God has for you. And while they may mean well with what they are saying, it is against what God has told you, and you need to stick with what God says. Simple, not easy. Jesus also explains that whoever wants to follow him must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him, which is not an easy thing to do because as the philosopher Terrell Owens once said, I love me some me. That's about true for everyone. But if we do not give our life over to Jesus in God's way, we can forfeit our eternal life. No. So Matthew 17, Luke 9, 28 through 62, and Mark 9. 
After some time, Jesus takes his disciples to the mountains, and then he takes Peter, James, and John and leads them up even higher into the mountain by themselves. There, Jesus is transfigured before them. And I think while they are watching this, Peter is a picture of the rest of us because he's just so overwhelmed with awe of what is going on that he just starts babbling things out like, uh, it's good for us to be here and I could put up shelters for you three. And at that time, God the Father covers Jesus, Moses, and Elijah and tells the disciples that Jesus is his son. With him, he is well pleased. Listen to him. Well, that scares the three disciples, which same and they fall down terrified. But then Jesus comes and touches them and nothing else is there but Jesus. Jesus tells them not to tell anyone what they saw. And I have to say, after all that, I'd probably be clinging to the man, especially after he says the part about the son of man has been raised from the dead. They then ask why the teachers of the law says Elijah has to come first. And Jesus is like, he did, but people didn't recognize him. And the three understand that he was talking about John the Baptist. But seriously, what a wonderful lesson to us. We have an image of how Christ should be, and so did the Pharisees and the rest of the Jewish population of the time. And Jesus did not look how they thought he should. Makes you wonder what your image is versus what the reality is. Anyway. Then, as they're going, they end up getting approached by a man whose son is demon-possessed, and the other disciples could not help him. Jesus says to them, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? And then he has the boy brought to him and heals him. The disciples ask afterward why they couldn't heal this boy, and Jesus responds it's because they have <clears throat> the disciples have little faith, which is where we get the infamous verse of Matthew 17, 20. I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Makes me wonder how small my faith is sometimes, because a mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds ever. Then the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, we saw this guy driving out demons in your name, but he wasn't one of us, so we told him to stop. Jesus is like, don't tell him to stop. If he is doing it in my name, then he can't say anything bad about me. Further, whoever is not against us is for us. Even if you give a cup of water in my name, you will not lose your reward. And then he talks about the followers saying anyone who causes them to stumble or even a child, it would be better if a large millstone were hung around their necks and drowned than what will happen to you if you make them stumble. This word is also used against preachers and teachers even to this day. Be careful in what you teach and how you lead people in Christ, praying that God leads you in your words. Then Jesus predicts his death again, telling them that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And this really upset the disciples. Again, if I were one of the three during the transfiguration, I'd probably be bawling my eyes out at this point. As they were walking, the wonderful tax collectors came a-calling. They're almost as bad as the Pharisees, but as long as you pay them, they do go away. Too bad they made the IRS the tax collectors with a Pharisee mindset here in America. These tax collectors ask Peter if Jesus pays taxes. And Peter's probably thinking, well, yes, he's the son of man. So he tells Jesus what they ask. And Jesus asks him if kings collect taxes from their children. Peter's like, no, they do from everyone else, though. And Jesus is like, the children are exempt. However, so as not to cause offense or issues as this was not an issue worthy of fighting about, Jesus has them fish and take coins out of the first fish they catch. They do and give over twice that of what was asked. And this is where we end today. If you have any reactions, thoughts, questions, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com. Have a most fabulous week, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.